This is HPR episode 1826 entitled HPR Community News for July 2015 and is part of the series HPR Community News. It is hosted by HPR volunteers and is about 83 minutes long. The summary is HPR Community News for July 2015. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hi everybody, my name is Ken Fallon, you're listening to Hacker Public Radio. Joining me tonight is... Hi, it's Dave Morris. Hi Dave, this is the Community News Show for July 2015. Community News is a look about what's going on in and around the HBR community as done on the list, the comments, the episodes and any other stuff that happens to come along. Unfortunately, this month there are no new hosts, which is very sad. Otherwise, we would have introduced them. Where it goes, I guess. We've been lucky. We've had quite a lot of hosts uh, pretty much all this year, haven't we? Every every month. Yeah, it's been not too bad. But uh, another way you can contribute to HPR, of course, is to um, yeah get other people to contribute. So, as we always do, we go through our what's in our bag sort of stuff. And this month, uh, sorry, what we normally do is go through the episodes quickly and we'll also do any comments that happen to be associated with the episodes. The first up last month was 1803, What's in My Bag? Geek Dad describing his daily carry year and bag. Yeah, good stuff. I like these ones, don't you? I do. Also a nice uh, photograph of the stuff that he carries. Yeah. That always adds a lot to it. I was impressed that it's a baby changing bag he uses, and uh, having <laughs> having reused all the baby stuff from years ago in this house, I, I'm most impressed by that. It's actually a good idea. There's lots of compartments and stuff usually in those things. Yeah, they're very practical things. I use a rucksack, and as uh, as uh, no, I think was, geeks are a lot more likely than a lot of people to just repurpose whatever they have laying around. That's true. Hi, 50. I presume it's 50. Hey, again, I'm coming today from the green room of the stately Lakeside Manor. Yes, uh, HPR listeners and friends, after a year, I'm home. Well done. Congratulations. Very good. Um, yes, I think uh, he. we're just going through the episodes. We're on the first one, episode 1803, What's in My Bag? And he's using a shoulder messenger bag. I use a rucksack because even though Nightwise considers people who wears rucksacks to be Boy Scouts, they don't damage your back as much as 
all the weight on one side in one of those messenger bags. Yep, I agree. I do the same thing for the same reason. Nightwise is just younger. Well, than I've used a, uh, a a laptop bag that originally was on an old 486 laptop somebody gave me and never used the bag, and then later it fit perfectly uh, my uh, uh, tough book that I carried around, and I've I've used uh, uh, you know tool bags, you know stuff stuff made to carry your uh, tools in, and uh, has worked worked very well. So you don't have to buy. You don't have to spend a lot of money on purposely built equipment bags. That's for sure. And 1804 um, is what's in my bicycle repair toolbox, one that was uh, sponsored by you, I guess. What's in my toolkit? I think you, you had a what's in your uh, toolbox as well at one stage. Yeah, what's in my pickup toolbox. That's yeah, I really enjoyed this because I didn't realize there were so many tools, you know, non uh, non-generalized tools that uh, were required to uh, do basic uh, bicycle repair. I, mean, I had a 10-speed in college, and I think the only thing I had other than my regular toolkit was the deal that, that separated the chain and put it, and put it back together. But I, I wasn't going down and taking the sprockets apart or anything like that either. Yeah, it like everything else, you can you can get away without having the specialized tools. I used to change those um, chains with just a sawn-off nail and a, and a good vice. But uh, it's a lot. it gets a lot easier if you have the specialized tools for that. But a nice episode from John, I think. Yeah, some good stuff there. I was quite impressed. I think I recognized a few of them, but because I've done with a few pictures, but, you know. They, there you uh, go. I was thinking the very same thing myself. So the following day we had 1805, which was uh, 56th in the LibreOffice series, uh, Objects and Styles presentation by Huga. And this was the introduction to the styles in uh, Impress. Very good stuff. Yeah, I think I understand a lot more about uh, how to do uh, do these types of things now. Having listened to, to these, um, it was all seat-of-the-pants stuff uh, back in the day when I used to do this type of thing. Yeah, very much. The following episode was the Community News Show. Uh, I don't know if there have been any comments on any of these, Dave. Have you been keeping an eye? No, there haven't, but I think there was on the Community News, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, Kevin O'Brien. Yes, Kevin's saying sorry he missed the uh, the show, but he did produce four more shows over the weekend, that that particular weekend, so uh, I think he's asked to be forgiven. <laughs> no, absolutely no need to be forgiven. And he's uploaded a few since then as well. So they're uh, they're coming, and uh, he's sorted out the um, the material on the site. So uh, yeah, some sort of compilation for would be nice. I think. I'm. Sh- do we have that as an item on the GitHub page? Sorry, something relating. Page. Something relating to uh, to to. Um, Kevin shows, but I, I can't remember what it is. You, you wrote it. Yeah, I pasted in the links, and we need to go back and add them to the show notes. And uh, I also wanted to put in a make a DVD available with the his shows and the um, material associated with them. So we had CGM with an episode on Arch Linux development environment, episode one, and this was uh, general everyday stuff about how to install. Um, basically, was a a introduction to Arch Linux. Basically it was an introduction to Arch Linux install process and all the steps that uh, you might go through to do it. Um, 
and very detailed show notes, all very, very clear. You could step through it. And quite a lot of it would be thing thing I, I like about Arch Linux is the, a lot of the commands are just the basic tools that you can use on any system. Obviously, aside from uh, Pac-Man, of course, but um, the rest of the stuff like FSTab and DD and, and that sort of thing is, is pretty pretty standard stuff. Yeah, it was a great show, I thought. Yeah, I, I loved his uh, the amount of research he'd obviously put into it and, and uh, worked to, to produce documentation. It's very impressive. Well, the ArchWiki is a great resource no matter what distribution you're running in, unlike a lot of the other uh, documentation. It's, it's not just how to get an application installed, but it's how to use the applications once you have them. Yeah, excellent resources, in fairness. 1808 is one of these uh, oddball ones, The Shooting of Dan McGrew by Robert W. Service. And uh, this was for David uh, Whitman's birthday. He rang, read out the work. Its copyrights expired, so it is now forever um, within the commons here on HPR. I really enjoy this because I know quite a... Uh, I've attended... I don't know, do you ever have those um, events around Christmas uh, where... Or, yeah, I don't know, Christmas or whatever the festive season is in your parts where you go to a local drama society thing and there was always one gentleman who who did a rendition of this. Uh, just uh, He's since passed away, but uh, just reminded me very much of those those times. Yeah, it reminded me of of family Christmases when I was uh, when I was very young, uh, where various uncles would sort of stand up and declaim um, and that, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, not that wow. particular thing. <laughs> yeah, we had a strange family. It didn't last very long, that, but it did happen. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, we don't have much of that over on this side of the pond. At least I've never been a big fan of poetry. But if if more poetry were like this, I would be. Not 100% sure it'd be everybody's cup of tea, but I, I enjoyed it. I used to enjoy it then as well. So, yeah, pretty cool. Here's your nine. The new hang on, use hang con- on, there was a comment. You missed the comment. Sorry, go. <laughs> the comment was from Mike. I'm not sure which Mike that was. I assumed it was Mike Ray, but he didn't say. He's saying, more, more. Great. Can we have ballads of, of a Chicha Co next, which is something I know nothing of. Again, revealing my ignorance, I guess. Love the lines about the northern lights, he says. Very, very nice. Yeah, more of this sort of stuff. Keep it coming. You know the rule? Anything of interest to hackers. There you go. The the following day we had the new used touch, Kindle touch, and I had to chuckle about this. I really, his second-hand stores or the thrift stores that he's going to are a lot more well-stocked than the ones that I have, I must say. Same here. I've, I've had chats with him about this. Um, I've been to uh, the kids. My kids and I were in California a few years ago, and uh, my son was particularly keen to make a beeline for the um, thrift shops. I can't remember the name of it now, but uh, found some quite quite cool stuff in there actually. Um, but, but as you say, it doesn't seem to be happening this side of the, the Atlantic. I have no idea why. Well, they there's a here in the Netherlands a. a Kringlope Wrinkle, they recycle, well, they call it the Circle of Life shops, and uh, you can go in there, and I just happened to be passing one today, and went in for a look, and they were selling, like, old um, slide projectors and stuff, you know, and uh, 
CRT monitors and that sort of thing is where they were at. It's over here. It seems to be massively expensive for what it is. If you look yeah. in all, there's there's so-called charity shops all up and down the the high streets and uh, and side streets and stuff. But they're all they've all got hell of a markup on them. Mm, interesting. Well, he got a Kindle Touch and uh, basically had the Kindle Touch explain to us why it was better than new ones, and I was uh, I was convinced for sure. That was a great idea. It's a really good way to do it. Yeah, it's. Uh... Interesting. So they they add the new hotness technology and then they drop all the features that you're used using. Well, they had to remove the. Um, they were forced by the uh, audio people to remove the text to speech, which I personally consider to be a sin to society in general. Anyway, eighteen ten. Uh, last pass hack. What does it mean? Um, by Ahuka, who went and gave us a very good uh, rundown of what happened and why why you should be slightly concerned but not too concerned. Um, just goes to show actually that it sounding improves a few things. Actually, they they were doing everything correctly. They limited the damage. They did proper disclosure and um, and yeah, you you. Uh, they seem to do everything right, but uh, still, no matter how good your systems are, eventually they will get uh, they will get uh, breached. So there you go. Yeah, I, I hadn't quite appreciated um, the points that Ahuka made that uh, the attack was not as effective because all the all the headlines seem to be saying it was the end of the world and and stuff. So uh, I thought it was quite good that he uh, he explained exactly where how much we should be concerned about it. I mean, it does, it does highlight the, it does highlight the reason I don't use that when I use KeyPass Exchange or a local KeyPass store here, which I sync, uh, sync around the file, and I have uh, that's for my wife and for myself. I use a basically an encrypted text file for my passwords. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't use LastPass either for for the same reason, but uh, a lot of people do. I know. Fifty. What do you use? Well, I mean, like a lot of these times, you hear about hack, place it hacked. If they they don't get the hash for the passwords, they they don't have a whole lot. There are some things like uh, the the first Sony hack. They they said, well, they got your email addresses, but you, they don't they don't have your passwords. So there's there's a little bit you can probably do. Hold on, use Zylon, use Zylon, stop, 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 hello, hello, 50, Earth calling 50, come in over. So, You're dropping in and out, I don't know if it's to everybody or just me. No, same here. What sort of a connection have you got now? He uses the same password for everything, find their, find their... I can't hear what he's saying, can you, Dave? No, I can't, no, he's, he's fading in and out. 50, we can't hear you. 50? On another site that's kind of secure. We got absolutely none of that fifty. You were cutting in and out. Hello, can you hear us? Yeah, I was just look. Look, I'm I'm here on the phone. I see a download going. I that I didn't start. I was trying to kill it. Okay, well, we didn't hear any of uh, what you said. So if you could repeat it, that'd be great. Did you mean you didn't hear just now? You didn't hear what I said, or you you, you no? You went. Uh, you had your last you monologue. Didn't. We didn't hear anything you said. Oh, I was just saying something about a hookah said that. A lot of these times you hear about uh, somebody getting hacked. It's not as bad as you might think as they don't get the, the hash to the passwords. And he did a real good job explaining 
how much work they would have to do uh, to, to uh, crack the passwords, even if they, uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, but, and things like the Sony a couple years ago, the first Sony hack, they got the passwords are hashed, so they got email addresses for everybody, but that was, that was about it. But I don't, one of the things I don't think he clearly explained, or he, he kind of did, targeted attack against you. If you're going for a targeted attack against a particular individual, this makes it a lot easier if you do know the salt, because you can use that salt then to to generate the hash tables, and the hash tables can then be used to brute force, or not to brute force, to work out what the password was based on the hash. Do you, you know, okay, I'll give a, a quick, my understanding of what salt is, you had in a regular password system, you can create what are called rainbow tables. So you can take the letter A, A, however many letters. So you can start with A, 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 B, A, 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 C. And you can work out the hash for each of those. And if you do that, distribute it over several computers or botnets, then you can create rainbow tables that run into several different, uh, several gigabytes of data and sometimes even terabytes of data, depending on the length of passwords that you use and the different combinations. So that way, once you have the rainbow tables generated, you can then take any hash and you can go, it starts with the, it starts with the number two. So you go into the DVD that has the number two and then the next number is A, or the next number is A. And you go to A, and then it's very easy to having the hash to find out what the password was because you've worked out all the possible passwords. What salting does means that for every single person, the rainbow tables would need to be generated for every individual person because you put in a salt in front and you say, uh, "I hash it with my uh, my salted pass my piece of salt, whatever that happens to be." If you don't know the salt, it makes it extremely difficult because you need not only is your password getting longer by the length of the salt or by the algorithm that you use but it also becomes unique to you so that it makes it very very expensive computation wise to generate all these uh, rainbow tables however if you do know the salt as they do now now in this case and they're able to get your hash through one means or another as in they're able to get it flying through the wire then it is possible that they will be able to generate for targeted individuals, enough rainbow tables. That's not to say it will be impossible to do. It would just make it, uh, it would make it not worth the while for a regular um, Joe Schmo on the street because it'll take thousands of dollars to do. However, if you're going after somebody in particular, then it makes it an awful lot easier to target that particular individual. Right. Huga did mention if you have the resources of, say, a nation state, the individual is pretty much pretty much out of luck yeah exactly so um but if any of this or anything that ahuka says is incorrect um feel free to do a show about it one thing i didn't want to throw out there seems a lot more dangerous than this while picking up stories for the kpo that wasn't aired last week or didn't get recorded one of the ones i came across is uh lifelock i don't know if you guys see you hadn't probably seen the ads over there at the company president putting his social security number on type of the truck side of a truck. And, you know, that, that was the gimmick. Oh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, keep a watch on your credit cards. And if anybody opens an account in your name and blah, 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 
uh, I didn't realize how, I knew they'd gotten in trouble a few years ago. I didn't realize how bad it was from this. Uh, this is a recent article. Uh, according to the article, apparently they stored everything on their servers in plain text and got pwned. Uh, at least my understanding from an article, I don't have, I don't have internet yet except for the phone. So I can't open, the, I can't open the article and look at it right now. But, uh, the reason this came up again, whatever regulatory agency got on and find them in the first place, I think it was the FTC said, uh, published here it is three years later and they haven't changed anything. So there are, so, uh, under, I guess under the exact, uh, nature of, what they're going to uh, uh, slap them down the, this time on is still uh, uh, class well not classified, but they have they haven't released exactly what the circumstances are of this time. But if uh, essentially from the article it boiled down to they we've given them three years to clean up their act and they really haven't done anything. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said for running your own stuff if you can secure it correctly. Okay, the uh, 1811, Life and Times of a Geek, Part 2, by Mr. Morris. Excellent, uh, excellent show, Dave. I even downloaded and watched those videos. Very impressed at your history background, I must say. Yeah, you can see why it took me six months to prepare this, apart from sort of motivation going in and out. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I got lost looking at all this stuff and uh, remembering things. And there's quite a few uh, comments. Charlie Egg. Bert says, uh, my father worked for Control Data. I started uh, coding a Fortran myself in 1975 post-Vietnam. I was very interested to hear your experience. I felt very env envious of the people who didn't have to punch their own software. Yes, and I responded to that saying, uh, yeah, we got it, but, uh, cards punched for, up for free by the data preparation staff. But uh, there was the opportunity to learn how to operate a, a card punch. Um, which you do if you just had a few cards to, to, to insert into a deck or something. And uh, card punches are quite smart. You can, you had a programming facility within them. You put a, a program card into into the thing, which uh, did things like jumping to the right column and uh, and that type of thing um, as you were as you were punching them up. So I, I said to to Charlie, perhaps he should do a show about his own experiences on on HVR. Yeah, very true. Um, then we also had a comment from Mike Ray. Uh, Hi, Dave. In an emergency queue, there's a show I did about a thing I made out of an empty cereal box. Some of my mom's knitting needles and some punch cards when I was about seven under supervision of my brother who was more geeky than me. It was like the thing you described, pulling a knitting needle out of the box, made the card drop out of the bottom that corresponded to the needle that was pulled. I used a bamboo versions of a bamboo skewer in the show version. In COBOL, I seem to remember the sequence number were in columns 1 to 6. Column 7 was an asterisk for a comment and a solidius for a continuation or nothing. Yeah, and I said, uh, glad you liked the episode. Um, your emergency show sounds like fun. My kids would have liked that when they were young. I'm sad we didn't think of something similar. He was referring to the... Uh, the punch card thing, the edge punch cards that I was talking about, that uh, people did use quite a lot in those days for, for as a sort of hardware database type of thing. And um, yeah, I said I'd forgotten the layout of COBOL cards. Didn't do a lot of co COBOL, only a couple of programs in it ever. 
and that was just to, to prove that I could do it. So, but he's quite right, of course. And if uh, you want to uh, hear that show that he's referring to, if you go to the calendar page, it's under emergency shows, and those the emergency queue is intended only to be used in case where there is still a gap in the schedule 24 hours prior to release. There are seven emergency shows, all are available in H uh, in MP3, AUG and Speaks format, and the show notes are also available. So the ne- next show was uh, Headphones and a $2 Microphone by John Culp, and gives a rundown of his mics, and I really like his uh, mini lapel. It seemed to work quite well. Yeah, I, I followed his lead there, and bought there's a you can buy a set of three for some small small number of pounds on on Amazon. So I've got them laying on the table in front of me. I haven't used them yet, but they they, they look they look fine and they sounded great as you say. I think it might be interesting for uh, you know plugging into a a splitter and into one of the zooms for recordings. I'd like to check that out, see how it works. Yeah, yeah. You you're thinking of having one for the interviewer, one for the interviewee, or something. Correct. Yeah. And uh, you left some comments. Do you want to read it yourself, or shall I do that for you? I said uh, to John, I I loved the ambient sounds. It was very enjoyable. Uh, It's fun to be accompanying you on your walk. Thanks for the description of what was going on around you. And some of those headphones sounded interesting, as did the microphone. uh, What's interesting is how close he lives to his work. (laughs) My God. (laughs) Five, Five seconds, he could run over. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, uh, it sounded like he's got an interesting walk too, but judging by what he was telling us about. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, so, he, he replied back about the heavy breathing. Thanks, Dave. I enjoyed recording this way, but I'm not a fan of the resultant heavy breathing. Planning to record brief outdoor episode today, but I think I'll just sit by the swamp or something. Um, no, actually, I didn't didn't find it at all distracting. It was like you were just walking along with somebody and uh, they were breathing and talking. Well, that's what I said in, in reply. I said it, it's not heavy breathing, it was just breathing. And it didn't didn't bother me at all. As you said, it is it's what happens. Your breathing rate changes as you as you move. You may be walking up a hill or something, um, you know, and when you're walking and talking, that, that happens. It certainly happens to me, isn't it? And the clue was in the, uh, in the description, the summary, which was read out. I talk about my very various headphones as I walk to my office. So, yeah, there was no, should have been no surprise there for anyone. Um, and uh, John Corliss said, uh, I agree with Dave. It was really enjoyable to listen to. The very informal nature of joining you on a walk to work and hearing commentary about what you saw along the way was at least as fun as the intended content on the headphones, which was also good. Smiley face. Thanks, John. So, 100% uh, approval rate there for John's episode. Yeah, I, I just love to hear. Uh, you know, you can form a picture of the scene in your in your mind as as you listen to that sort of thing. I think that's a great thing to do. Absolutely, very very true. Um, okay, day eighteen thirteen. Windigo again with three episodes, wasting episodes by putting them into uh, into one show. Apt spelunking. Surf, Lightyear, and FB term. Apt splunking is a silly term that he made up the act of searching through a Debian repository looking for random stuff. Did any of, did any of you get a chance to use any of these apps? 
I didn't. I, I followed them up to the extent of uh, just checking out what what uh, what they were, but I didn't actually. I tried FB term actually. I couldn't get it to work. I did try that, but uh, I, I didn't spend a lot of time trying to 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 make it make it run. Seems like I got very worried about that uh, lighty years because it sounds like the sort of um, game that I would find myself going this is this is ridiculously simple and then 48 hours later <laughs> i'm there still working away on it i try very hard to avoid those sorts of things these days i, I know how easy it is to to fall into that, that black hole <laughs> and the lightweight graphical browser is always handy to have um and i have tried this one because i uh, when testing the website i downloaded everything with web browser on there and uh, yeah it does what it says on the tin it's very very simple yeah, Windigo had does seem to have a tremendous uh, compendium of fascinating programs. Actually, he's, he's mentioned other things in other contexts, which are which are really really cool. More, please, more. And his avatar is extremely interesting. He needs to explain it. I know. I've looked at that and wondered what what's going on. There? <laughs> it's yeah, just absolutely. we need context. We need context. Speaking custom context menus in these GUI file managers, see what I did there? See what I did there? You're forgetting the comments. You can, do you want me to do the comments? Oh, please do, please do. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. new to this. Um, <laughs> um, so we had one comment from one of these hexadecimal chappies who always throws me <laughs> with the handles 0xf10e. Do you say the 0x if it's just F10e? Well, well, I don't know. I mean, it's there, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know okay, it was hex. Enough. You would know it's hex by the fact it's got hexadecimal things in it. But I, I don't know. I don't know. We we should ask the uh, the owner. I once made said. I once made the mistake of replying to an email capitalizing somebody's handle. They were not amused. Oh yes, that's not not polite. I think. Um, anyway, grumpiness was a comment and. Uh, the question was, you mean get grumpy like a sysadmin or network operator when someone breaks their network? Um, I forget the context now. Do you remember? I don't, actually. It made sense when I was listening to the show or soon after. But uh, anyway, uh, the the um, the other comment, uh, the, the remainder of the comment was, by the way, did you know mPlayer has FB dev video output so you can play videos on the frame buffer too? Sounds very cool. Yes, to which he replies he did not know about that option, and it sounds like a wonderful project. Mplayer is absolutely awesome what that thing can do. You know you can play videos in the, um, in ASCII mode. Yes, why would you ever do that? <laughs> Go on. I've never, tried, I've, never tried, I've never tried to do it. Quite. Why, why would you want to do that, Ken? <laughs> well, I, my job title is Senior Video and Demand Engineer, and sometimes you tell us or SSH into a server on the other side, and you can connect to this, um, you can connect to the setup box port and check to see if the video is actually playing on that side using ASCII. And then you go, right, guys, it's playing there. Look, the stream is that far. Can we please move on? That's that's good. I can't ever imagine wanting to do that myself, but uh, I'm impressed that you you have a use. It's yeah. It's for, for quite a lot of things. You'd be surprised, especially you know, podcasts or whatever. You can yeah, you get a lot out of uh, just playing it in ASCII. But uh, FB Dev is actually also pretty cool. You know, no, uh, really, really small system. Boom, and up it comes. Pretty cool. 
Again, it was worth the effort of showing up today just to hear a, uh, a legitimate use case for ASCII video mode. I just thought that was something they were bored and threw in one day. Oh, that has saved me so many times. You just prove the, the video is getting that far. Look, it's playing there on this port on this server. All right, thank you very much. Move on. Not my, not my problem from here on then. But quite a lot of them, if you just squint a little bit, you can get more or less the movie where it is. Sounds like the Matrix to me. I'm not sure. If you want to dead a video, whether you're looking at it in ASCII or um, you know, if you want to, an in and out scene, you just want a particular scene, quickly view it in ASCII, get the in scene, the out scene, edit the video to that point. Hundreds of uses for it, guys. Hundreds of uses. No one seems convinced. <laughs> believe you <laughs> all right all right all right all right uh watching videos at work you know yourself nobody's going to think anyone's stupid enough to watch nasky if you're just interested in the soundtrack all right all right i'll stop anyway john's next one was custom context menus in GNU linux GUI file managers and i'm i'm not 100 sure did he mention um any of the KDE ones, like uh, Dolphin or whatever, is that supported on those? I don't think he did, um, and because as I listened to, to it, I rushed off and tried to get um, uh, find out how to do it with Dolphin, and it is it is possible, but it's a lot more involved than um, than at least with Thuna, which I, I have managed to get working. Yeah, but it seems like a absolutely awesome little thing to be able to do. Just it's a cool adding... thing to do, yeah. Yeah. Adding your own custom menus, that's really right-click and, you know, destroy planet. Excellent. Love it. Following day, 1815, LibreOffice and Press, Style and Objects 2, Drawing an Object. And this is a... I could never understand why LibreOffice and Press was doing all this stuff. And then, the moment, it's, you know, it's the, they're using the same... The drawing objects are, the, are being shared between two components. So that, that just explains so much stuff to me. It means you can do some pretty cool slides, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And at the tar as at the start of the the Impress series, I didn't think I was going to be getting anything from it, but actually, it's been probably more more informative than any of the other ones. It's quite a lot of the stuff was just refreshing, but this is all kind of new stuff with Impress. I don't really just slap a presentation together and be done with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I do know what you mean. Um, I felt the, the same way, even though I haven't done a presentation ever with uh, with <laughs> with this and i haven't done a presentation with anything for many years so but no good good point were there any comments for any of these shows by the way none on either of the last two no and there's none on visualizing hpr tags dave i think i think you went out on one on this i am 100 percent sure that in the fullness of time i will be coming back to this after two hours of frantically searching to remember where exactly i heard about this tool and that's where I'm filing this one in under. I, I have to admit that this was the result of me thinking, it's about time I did a show. What can I do one on? Oh, I know. I'll just do that. And um, <laughs> and then afterwards thinking, hmm, I think I maybe uh, maybe lost my audience a bit on that one. <laughs> Still, it filled well, a slot, didn't it? No, well, you didn't. You didn't. I particularly like the uh, the um, HTML VI code. Your code is so clean, Dave, I, I cry a little inside that my code is not as nice <laughs> oh, but, as your code. But you, you just need to feed it through the um, 
the, the pearl tidying stuff and it uh-huh, sure. pretty fires pretty fires quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I think my uh if I did that the thing would get gain sentience so that it could come around and slap me about the face for producing such bad code. It it does sometimes tell you um your code is rubbish. Uh, or if you run it through the the thing that that matches up with the Perl Best Practices uh, book, which is a massive tome on how how to write Perl and how not to write it, um, and there's a there's a whole library which will read a Perl script and complain about it. Then, my goodness me, you think, well, I've done a good script here, and it comes back and says, no, this is rubbish. It's too long. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's quite uh, quite a sort of chastising process. It's, uh, Makes you stop and think. Yeah, I'd I'd like actually to find. Wonder if there's anyone out there who's got a um, a better use for graph is than this. <laughs> you know, one that not to put too fine a point, but the, there's too many tags for this to be useful. I thought. Yeah, I know, I know. It, it I did say as much it, both in my notes and in the uh, in the show. Um, but it was really just a thing. I wonder if this will work, and uh, oh, why don't I share this sort of sort of thing that's going on there? But uh, yeah, graph is is very very good. You can do some really clever stuff. I just don't know enough of, enough of it to to make what I did look look good. Yeah, if you uh, if there's anyone out listening who has a um, on graphing programs in, in general, there's a requested topic for GNU plot, and we could definitely put this up there as well for you know visualization tools i think that would be something that a lot of people uh a lot of people would like to have a lot of people struggle with it i I know i do um and sometimes i have quite a lot of data that i can read myself but to put into presentations or something having a graph makes a lot more sense for other humans well one of the uses that that i have made of it in the past not 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 directly but uh, through the the Gramps um, genealogy program. If you've ever seen that, I have indeed. It, I'm very familiar it with has, that. Um, it has a, a family tree. Uh, uh, it's got lots of plugins. One of them is a graph biz thing, and it does a huge, huge family tree thing that shows all the relationships between all the people that you have in your in your um, database. And it, I, I had a access to an A3 printer at one time that uh, I could produce quite tiny little writing. Um, uh, trees on, and uh, you know, great thing to stick up on the wall if you're into that sort of thing. I am indeed, Dave. I am indeed. Um, I do have my family tree in Gramps, and I have it on my list of stuff that I'd like to do is to use a projector to project it onto the wall, and then go over it with ink and uh, you know, ink it in. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's quite interesting, and sometimes you can. Get uh, get your kids interested in it as well. I think I more or less failed it <laughs> when I tried it, but uh, I, I I believe that it's quite nice if you can interest your your children in this sort of thing if possible, because otherwise the whole family tree business can just fall by the wayside, you know, because it needs to be carried on from generation to generation if you possibly you know the knowledge about yeah, exactly. previous generations. Well, it's interesting, Dave. You. You mentioned children, and uh, Ken, Ken Fallon uh, mentioned doing presentations. I, I presume for his supervisors, and uh, it just seems to me a direct correlation between the types of information that you have to 
have to provide uh, to both group groups. It's got you can't go too deep, and it's got to be something they they can immediately understand. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Although the prospect of doing a presentation for your kids, I'm not sure how many would. <laughs> Uh, what are you talking about? Children. What you don't <laughs> you have presentation breakfast? <laughs> That's right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Get the screen, the projector out, and oh, aye. <laughs> <laughs> That's it exactly. The following day was one of these episodes where I went jumping around the house like a little happy bunny. It was eighteen seventeen gathering parts, and it is NY Bill talking about the process he goes through when starting an electronics project, and this to me was so simple, so friggin' obvious that I had never thought to actually do this. The amount of electronic projects I've started and found that I was missing a piece and then had to order something and then it comes back and something has been dumped on the table and the whole thing is just a regular old mess. This is absolutely excellent and I can put it into a, a little plastic bag, all the components with the list and then just leave it there as a project ready to do for when I do get all the components. Excellent, 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 excellent. Yes, and I like his idea that if you're ordering, you know, you find you need resistor X, you might as well order 20 of them because the shipping is going to be as, as much as the uh, co- uh, cost of multiple units. Absolutely. He also had a very good tip of, uh, you know, going to the one site and making a shopping list and adding everything to that and then, uh, you know, logging out and logging back in and taking stuff off the list and only buying the things there that you absolutely need, absolutely need it. I know Deal Extreme offers that as well as an option. So, excellent, excellent tips. Nothing like there was nothing about the show that was like mine. It could be it's electronics, but it could equally be repairing your lawnmower or something. You know, it was just here's how to approach a complex project uh, so that you know you can get it under control. Project management. My God, project management on HBR at last. Oh, dear. There was also a very good uh, thing in there that any of the ham radio enthusiasts who have your who have to do your advanced exam should take it out, and that is how to tell the colors of a resistor. He has like a little rhyme thing. I don't think he covered that in the episode, did he? He, he referred to the two red lips thing, and he, he caught himself saying it and then laughed and said, Oh yeah, this is how I remember stuff. But he he must have come back and uh, and added this in just to fill in the the gaps, which I thought was was a fantastic thing to do. I've uh, I've uh, a wall full of like helpful, useful things, and this is now added up there, because that'll be handy for when I do my ham radio exam. Hope I'm hoping that that will come up. <laughs> An easy question on resistors. Yeah, impressive. Yeah. Anyway, C-Prompt now, said... Ken, since you're going to have a ham license, uh, have you seen this uh, Arduino shield that uh, broadcasts and receives in the long range in the ham uh, frequency? Is that anything you could you, you think you could find a use for? Absolutely, but I'm not uh, allowed to own it until I have a ham license. Did you do a show about that? or did I heard you talking about that on one of the other shows. I'm, I mentioned it on KPO once. Yeah, I went and looked it up after hearing you talk about that. Very, looks very, very nice. It's also mentioned in the uh, DARP magazine, which is uh, uh, the Dutch, um, a Dutch ham radio magazine. So they, they mentioned it as well. It's pretty cool. Anyway, C-Prompt uh, said, great show, loved the show in my bill, definitely 
do an update so that we can see the result. Let us know which version of the pedal you're going to do. You might be interested in these guys too, which is mojotone.com. I used to work for them a few years ago and they have some nice quality stuff, nice kits you can build on your own and such. Nice vintage style amps. Thanks for the show. Cool. And you you replied, um, you sent a comment in saying series on electronic components. Um, while you might think this is obvious, this episode is a great practical tip for starting electronic projects. Can I suggest that HBR listeners contribute a list of sites they use to get components and that we put that up on the GitLab repo and then sync it to the main HPR website? So uh, the list of possibles, and I do agree with that. That would be a great idea because uh, um, I know there's some obviously some good places around New York, but uh, around Edinburgh, I don't know, or in England or in, in Great Britain in general, I'm not so sure about. Um, and you said also I'd love you or someone else to series on electronics components this is the resistor they look like this they're used for they cost about here are the following types etc etc again i think that would be a brilliant thing to do i love that yeah and uh cprompt or my bill reply back thanks cprompt that must have been an interesting place to work and there will be a follow-up i told you how i found the board layout online so there will be some etching too Ooh, excellent good fun yeah, the idea did cross my mind. Can do an episode on each different components, and we'll see if I get off my butt and do that. I really, really hope he does because uh, um, I would like to get into electronics more. And sometimes I'm just, you know, when you study electronics, there's going to be guys there who will tell you technicians or whoever don't do that or do this or here's a tip, and that's the sort of thing that I'd really like to. I've really felt I missed having a mechanical engineering background. The following day, we had 5150-1818, a review of HBR's interview recorder, the Zoom H1. Yeah, and if anybody needs, or next time somebody needs that, you know, everybody keep in mind, it's still still here in this room somewhere in one of these boxes. <laughs> does that have a, because um, I have the Zoom H2, does that happen to have a, a line monitor that you can listen to what's been recorded? Yeah, I believe so. Did you use that by any chance? No, uh, no, I, I just walked, well, I had one walking interview and that one disappeared. Uh, one, and I, I'm, I mean, it didn't disappear, but I mean, the audio wasn't there at all. I don't know what happened on that because. Uh, probably they have you know, the press record twice. I record a talk of Eric, uh, by Eric Raymond with, with the, approval of everybody in the room that hadn't gone out yet but it, you know it was it was like in a conference room in the hotel probably seated like 80 people we didn't have that many in there but it's fairly big and i just set it set the zoom on the chair between uh, eric and i i was in the like in the front row and it caught every part of it it caught uh questions from the back of the room just beautifully but uh the day before I was with one of the guys, and I, I'm sorry that the name escapes me. From well, they're the if you if you've seen the viral video of uh, uh, of uh, Iron Man, uh, uh, Tony Stark. Uh, 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 oh, the actor's name escapes me, which is ridiculous. But uh, you no, know, presenting the kid, uh, you know, uh, with the Iron Man arm. Uh, these were the guy. These were the guys who printed it. And they oh, awesome. came, this, this was at uh, PenguinCon, and uh, 
you know, so I, I uh, asked them about getting interviewed, finally got back and found them the next day, and they literally caught the one guy walking out of the hotel. He said, yeah, I can, if you can walk with me, uh, I can do an interview. And you know, I, don't, I, I was surprised. I didn't get a bit of it. Yeah, they uh, Zoom has a pre- you have to press it once to get the levels, and the red light flashes, and then you have to press it twice for it to actually record. Um, so I think we have all been everybody who's owned a Zoom has been caught with that, which is why I also use the backup Sansa clip, which I just put on record the whole time, and then just clip it to people's lapels. And uh, I had that exact same thing happen to me when I was. Uh, re- recording in Fostown but I was able to recover one of the episodes from the um, from the recorder on their uh, lapel yep I'm not sure that was it because I got a, I got several minutes of static I just didn't get any, uh, get a recording I would think if I didn't hit it twice I would have got anything recorded okay well moral of the story is have a backup device regardless um, the following day, 1819, LibreOffice tips horizontal lists and headless operation by John Culp, no less. And uh, Ahuka was kind enough to allow this to go into the LibreOffice series. So it took me a while to get my head around what a horizontal list was and what he's trying to do. And then I finally got it. But it's not, I must say, a use case that I have needed to have myself. No, I, I could see... There might be some rare circumstances where, where you might want to do that. He was talking about putting in the footer or the header or something. Um, I quite like the idea of making columns to, to do it, but uh, quite what would happen once you'd filled up all the columns, I wasn't quite clear about. Presumably it just wraps to the first one again. So, uh, nice uh, idea. I'd yeah, another one do. where a, um image would have helped, I think. <laughs> Well, I can see where this would have great applications for academia. The thing is that they've, uh, most places, I think they've moved on from actually uh, typing up your tests in a word processor. Uh, and it's unfortunate because uh, at least the school that I worked for, and I think this is fairly common, they have a deal. They have software they buy at great expense, uh, and they go online, and they, and they do these tests, and then they... They project the test onto the wall of the classroom, and each of the kids have a clicker that they select A, B, C, or D on these multiple choice tests. Now, now I, I totally see why the schools do this as jo- job retention, because I think the days of the teacher spending six hours grading papers uh, at, after the school bell rings is long gone. This stuff is already, you know, it's it's already recorded and in the uh, automatically in the uh, grade book. But but uh, unfortunately, if if you test like this, then you you've got no opportunity to do essay questions. I did like the uh, tip on the headless operation, which I didn't even know was a thing in LibreOffice, where you can uh, convert to HTML or convert a document to ODT. Very handy. That's a cool feature, yeah, yeah, I can see me using that. I wonder, are there many uh, other options, so like converting a, a document to a PDF, which is what I tend to do quite a lot. Since the the thing itself can do the PDFs, I would imagine the, the headless function would, would do it as well, but don't know that for a fact. So there was no comments on that particular episode, which brings us to 1820, Canonsis Linux Fest. Uh, 
interview one of two with Alec, Alex Juarez. Juarez, is that correct? Rexpix Principal Engineer. Juarez. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm very, very uh, bad at pronouncing people's names. And this was a cool interview, uh, 50. They seem to really uh, rack space. Well, thanks. Really a lot s- of it was, and you, you probably saw my technique in there. I wasn't, and I did this with about every person that I interviewed uh, uh, from his vest. Not, no, you know, not, I, I mean, I have a real good idea what rack space does and a better idea since meeting those guys at the, uh, at, at uh, KLF. But since that's not that's not the type of service that I, uh, especially on a business level, that I uh, have any kind of experience of uh, of securing of renting that you know renting a, a server or anything, I wasn't sure I was quite up to the task of asking the right questions. So I I, I came back to my old trick of saying, okay, uh, well that's about all I had. Is there anything else uh, you think our listeners ought to know? Always a good question. I'm sure there are probably some people who, who've listened that said, yeah, why didn't you ask him this or ask him that? Well, put it in the show notes. I'm sure they'll be back next year. <laughs> True for you. But, you know, that, and, and the thing I got from it, I, I expected Rackspace to show up. They, they were going, they were going to uh, be trying to sell their service. No, really, you, you could definitely tell they were trying to sell themselves as employers. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. The following day we had 1821, James Beard's Never Fail Blender Holidays Sauce, in response to the um, walk episode from earlier on. Uh, Frank describes James Beard's uh, simple recipe. Is James Beard a a well-known thing? I looked up a little bit about him, and he was a... Um, a well, well-regarded uh, cook, from what I saw. I think, yeah, he's got a w- Wikipedia page. You can read all about him. Um, sounds, sounds like he's had some an interesting uh, career, um, which he's uh, he's passed away since then. But yeah, obviously a yardstick to to go to for all sorts of um, recipes of this sort. Which are interesting. Yeah, I've not heard name before this podcast, but apparently. In in that generation of cooks, that they they write the big cookbook instead of having a TV show where they humil- uh, yell at people and humiliate them and throw knives and such. Yeah, probably safer. But no, when I saw this on on the library, I immediately went out and downloaded it a, a, ahead of time. But I I really didn't get a chance to listen to it till the uh, till the broadcast uh, day. Uh, not to. Not to leave anybody with an unsavory image, but uh, it's it, uh, you know HPR's uh, daily format and the length is usually just perfect for uh, listening to while I shower and shave in the morning. But uh, so I waited till then and just got it off the stream. But uh, this is something I really wanted to do because a, a year, year and a half ago, I tried to make hollandaise sauce. I don't remember what I was going to put it on. In the conventional way, you know, these you stir with one hand and you pour with the other, and you're standing there for an hour, and it just it was a complete disaster. So I look forward to uh, trying this automated method. Mm. Never, never met hollandaise sauce. Not really a cook type person myself. I, I I'm not a great fan of these sorts of sauces personally, but uh, it's uh, it's basically a you're making an emulsion, I think, isn't it? It's a uh, 
you're having to mix together stuff that doesn't want to mix, and uh, so it's all about sort of beating the hell out of them. Oh yeah, I, I look. I, uh, well, I've, I got a probably recipe off the internet rather than the uh, uh, cookbook, but uh, it uh, every time you see the recipe, oh yeah, it's there's an act to it. But really, really, if you follow our directions, it's very, very simple. Uh, very easy. Well, that's e- that's easy to say when you're writing an article on the internet. The next one was 1822, Some Tips on Image Magic and by Dave Morris. And this one is pretty cool, Dave. I've used, I think, everything that you have mentioned in your show, but I am not as yet able to do shows about it due to the fact I usually do it for work and I'm waiting for them to Get to the legal department to get back to me to make sure I can talk about this stuff. Not that it's that secret, it's just I want to make sure all my all my shows are legally allowed to be distributed. Yeah, fair enough. It's it's um it's not exactly world shattering stuff, but if you haven't come across the image magic capabilities, then you know, somebody sort of pointing at it and uh and saying, you know, it's pretty straightforward to use and there's tons of information about it uh i hope absolutely it would, uh, maybe maybe be helpful to people who hadn't uh, experimented with it yet Image well magic. and it, it's good to have an introduction to a, a different uh graphics ed- editor because a lot of people uh, well i think gimp is is probably the more powerful of the two and a lot a, a lot of people start out with uh yet and stick with it because that's what they know but uh listening to this uh, uh episode made me think well maybe i should fire up image magic because it's far it, it's usually installed with the distro or quite often and just see what it has for little simple projects but it's quite nice that you can do batches of stuff you know like the fact that you can run through a list of files in a in a short script or a you know a command line pipe or something, um, and uh, and do that thing that you need to do to all of them. That, that's the reason I use it. I agree. GIMP is more powerful, as is Krita, by the way. I find Krita to be damn good, but uh, you know it's just great for that that sort of um, batch of of changes that you might want to do. And there are plugins for every library there under the sun for Ruby, PHP. Pythons, whatever. Um, you can download Image Magic uh, plugins that you can do all these things in the language of your choice. Um, guaranteed, probably ninety to ninety-nine percent of websites that do anything with images are using Image Magic in the background. It's extremely handy for automating stuff. So the following day, we had the last of your interviews uh, from Kansas Linux Fest. And uh, it was the, uh, the one of the organizers, is that correct? Yeah, Ryan Sipes. Uh, he was, he's right after Mike DuPont, who's, you know, an HPR contributor. Uh, he's probably, well, almost equally responsible for the fact that there was a Kansas Linux Fest. He, uh, he restarted the uh, local lug in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, he is... Uh, uh, the head IT uh, person for the uh, public library system in the northeast part of Kansas. That's uh, there. There's four or six districts 
in Kansas. And apparently when he came in there two or three years ago, they were already heavily open, uh, utilized open source. And I, you know, uh, un unlike a lot of it, uh, go into something, have a lot of frustration pushing them towards open source there. You know, they, they were very receptive. So I think they're pretty much 100% open source now. Uh, as I mentioned, well, I don't want to hash the, rehash the article. He's also a huge contributor to what the time when I interviewed him was Evolve OS, and they ran into some copyright problems. So they've gone back to, to using uh, the old Solos OS name, even though it's a complete, really completely different project uh, for the uh, distribution that uh, Ike Doherty is the uh, lead programmer on. And uh, this, is, this is something new since uh, Ryan has a new project that you, I'm sure you'll hear about in the next week or so. Uh, it's called Mycroft.ai. Well, I mean, the website's my, my, Mycroft.ai. Uh, is in artificial intelligence. Mycroft is in... Sherlock Holmes's older, smarter brother. And this is a project based on a Raspberry Pi. I, I, he'd released pictures. They're making cases for now, uh, 3D printed. I'm sure if they go, they're going to have a quick a Kickstarter campaign starting this next week, and I'm sure they'd probably be going to pre-print, you know, uh, conventionally printed cases. But what this is, uh, I, I believe it's meant to duplicate a lot of the functions of the Amazon Echo without the processing of the voice commands having to go out over the internet to a server and come back. So in other words, it's not it's not there sitting there listening to everything. Well, it is listening to everything that's that, that's said around it, but it's not it's not uh, forwarding it um, to the internet. And there, I guess there's supposed to be some home automated automation functions. It's um, like I said, I, if I had a computer in front of me, I could tell you the software. It's based on a, a, uh, a voice recognition. Well, sort of an, an you interactive what, 50, AI program. Why don't you, you know, something uh, you'd, you'd uh, hello? Uh, build to uh, uh, challenge the Turing test uh, that was developed by Google or developed at Google. Uh, so there's, I, I essentially, I think it's it's going to do a lot of the functions of the Echo. Plus a whole lot more. I was just going to say, could you do a short episode whenever that Kickstarter comes out and give us a summary of that? Yeah, I will. Uh, and I've invite. I, I he may be on one or both shows next week uh, since I don't have internet here other than this phone. I don't know if I will be, but I think that this this was being on today's kind of uh, trial to see if I could uh, participate just using the phone. Sorry to ramble. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, I, I invite when this came when I first got this project, I invited Ryan to come on both Colonel Panic Ogcast, Colonel that's Colonel Panic Ogcast.net, Kaching, and uh, the Linux Slugcast, Linux Slugcast.com. And we're, we're you know, we're uh, uh, Linux Slugcast is going to be on Friday. We've lost him again on one or both shows. I'm expecting you to, at least, because he seemed enthusiastic. Yes, Ken, if they get... If, uh, well, I was going to tell Ryan this first, but if they get in person, 
I don't think he can interrupt him with his phone. He doesn't hear us until he stops talking. I'm sorry. I should, I should talk in smaller bits. Yeah, you're chopping out, and you um, because you're not stopping to talk, nothing is getting through to say that you're chopping out. Oh, of course it's buffering. Okay, uh, first question, Ken. Yeah, they're, uh, they're only... Uh, Lawrence, Kansas is only about a four-and-a-half-hour drive, so if Mycroft.ai gets funded, I fully intend to drive up there some weekend and do an in-person interview with, with Ryan. Excellent. At, at the, uh, they're actually building these things at the entrepreneur... Did I cut out again? Yeah, you're cutting in notes all the time. Okay, let me try one sentence at a time. Uh, if the project gets funded... Yeah, no, I got that. Uh, if the project gets funded, you're going to go and interview. Okay, okay. Uh, and the other part was that I... Uh, since the Kickstarter starting this week, I expect Ryan will show up on one or both of uh, Linux Lugcast on Friday and uh, the Kernel Panic Ogcast on Saturday. Okay, cool. Um, there was one comment to this show, which was by Anonymous. Uh, sound quality is absolutely awful, unbearable. And I will say, yes, folks. The point of HBR is we will post shows even if the audio is terrible. Um, the idea here is to, if it's audible, it goes on. Um, you did record that with the Zoom H1, did you? Yeah, and I thought actually that was a lot better than than the uh, introduction that I did under Audacity. I uh, uh, it, I noticed that when I edited it, just see it just seemed my part. That I that I recorded under Audacity was awful rough. Yeah, in fact, both of them was very very hard to make out. Not it's not the worst we've ever had, and the point we will always accept in uh, we will always accept audio so long as it's at least audible. Um, but I did really have to struggle to listen to that one to to try and get anything out of it. Uh, I had to really do a lot of processing power to. Which had me very surprised because the Zoom H2, the, the quality of the audio is absolutely superb. I don't know what it is about the way you're doing it, 50. I don't Not. know. I think it may be more of an audacity problem. Uh, well, then, when, when can, you send me the, the audio. can you send me the source files that you have from the Zoom H1? Because I'd really, um, I'd really like to get that fixed. If you have better audio than this and your audacity is ruining it, then... Uh, we really need to, um, we might be able to repost that show. Okay, great. How about the uh, the Rackspace interview? Because it was done the same way. Yeah, if, uh, if, if, well, we'll see what the source files are like. If they're as bad, then we know it's the recording. If it, if they're not, then we know something's wrong with the way you're editing them. Well, what, uh, what it is when I, when I import the uh, stuff from the H1, it's it sounds good, but it's way 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 low compared to what I'm recording locally in Audacity, and I've I've got my mic gain all the way down, uh, pretty much in Audacity, and yeah, but uh, you can just select try to it. amplify. Yeah, go on. Well, what I usually do is uh, I amplified it as much as it would allow me to without clipping the the original file and and i've got i say 
I did not destroy the original recording. I, I uh, you know, record uh, made it uh, made it a separate file each time I made a change. Uh, then exported it to FLAC, and then when I got imported into the same file as my preamble, I tried to do leveling, and that'll get a little close. It, the leveling more pulls down my native Audacity recorded stuff than it raises the uh, H1 recorded stuff up. And then really what brings everything to the same level is hitting it with presser. Yeah, I don't know. Something something about your setup might be right. I'd, I'd just like to have a look at the files themselves and see if we can uh, if we can do something with the audio. If you have the source okay, files, thanks. I can't so, imagine so, that they... Yeah, it, it's, it's operator error. I don't know enough about what I'm doing with Audacity. And if... Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If people... Um, have shows, send them to us with the note, please edit this and we can we can edit it. We normally don't. I normally don't listen to them except to see if it's audible. And that means literally if it's audible, I check the AUG file in three different places to see if it's audible and then that's it because we don't censor here. We don't. Um, if people have comments, we just approve them if they're not spam. If people have shows, we approve them without listening to them. But and that's it. If, the, if there is well, the, the opportunity machine I'm running to on improve, the on is not nearly as powerful as the one that I lost a year ago. So that may be. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. Yeah, I'm using a crappy netbook and I've had no problems um, editing shows with that. So sometimes not doing a lot with them is enough. Okay, moving on to 1824. I'm learning some Python where uh, John Culp is replacing uh, some of the bash scripts he talked about before for automating stuff with the equivalents using Python. And yeah, I kind of agreed with the. It was a nice solve because he didn't really go into a lot of the nitty gritty of what he's using, more the type of things that he's using. I was tempted to give it a shot. Everybody seems to be jumping on the Python bandwagon. Just you and me, Dave, here on the Pearl. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I uh, I've also been wondering whether to to get uh, get more deeply into. Say this and so, Dave. Say this and so. I'm abandoning it. Sorry. Oh, but the, it's um. There's things like, for example, the if you want to parse HTML5, then the Python offerings seem to be better than the Perl ones. I suspect that the that the some of the, the the movers and shakers have moved away from from uh, Perl and have headed off elsewhere to Ruby or to to Python, and so you know there's maybe not not the same amount of effort going into those types of modules anymore. So I hope that I hope that I'm wrong that that we're not seeing the sort of slow fading of, uh, of Perl, but uh, there's, there's some areas where it's not as good as it used to be. Yeah. Now hopefully it will come along. Um, the f- next show was uh, sorry. Was there any uh, was there any comments on that episode? I don't think so. No comments. No. Yeah, not yet. It's fairly early days yet. And LibreOffice template creating a template for HPR Ahuka, and his slide master. Okay, he picked a nice um, a nice template for this, but we do have the original images, so I can happily make a transparent image for the HPR logo, um, which. It's one of the items to make all those images and stuff available more prominent on the website that you can get them. So um, absolutely no reason why the background can't be uh, alpha alpha transparent channel on the background for that. 
And that, I think, was it for the shows, Dave. Do we have any other comments that we that were for the earlier episodes? Yes, we do. Um, we have a comment on show 1784, which was John Culp's intro to Fugue and the Open Well-Tempered Clavier, um, from 5150, saying thanks. Um, this comment is belated since I meant to be on the community news for June. John, since you've pulled back curtain i will never be able to listen to music in quite the same way again i think i nearly skipped over this episode and only listened due to politeness so that's uh that's good um that's a good comment i like that it is uh, actually then yeah. we, and uh, then we um, had and uh, mean. sorry go on then uh, the next one was on 1794 which was another one of john culp's shows 12 tone music and my random 12 tone Row of the day again. Fifty commented uh, on Forbidden Planet, um, saying this episode reminded me of the theme from every sci-fi film from the fifties, most notably the classic, The Forbidden Planet. I hope someone writes a script we can all lend our voices to, and you can score. I know it, I know what you mean about Forbidden Planet Fifty, because there's some very, very, very bizarre sounds as they're landing on the planet i think at the early part of the film which is uh, pretty amazing it's good state-of-the-art stuff in those days i think so yeah cool and um, go on son the last one was uh, in answer to kevin's episode on 1800 on video youtube video subscriptions i asked him for the subscriptions and they are now all listed there on that episode so there's nothing stopping me doing my so there's nothing stopping him doing so do me doing the show that I promised him. Yeah, it's a very comprehensive list that isn't it? I've, it is I've indeed. Only, only scanned it, I haven't actually dug into it yet. It's, it's gonna take me months to, to work through that lot, I think. So shall we go through the mailing list then? Not a huge lot. Um yeah indeed. So do you wanna do you wanna start or shall I? The pictures for which uh what is the start one so the start is frank bell asking uh are there any specifications of pictures might one might want to upload when posting a show so i interpreted him to be asking what do i do to prepare a, sh- a picture and i said well here's what i do and effectively it was a sort of quick potted version of what i did in that show about uh, um image magic yeah, except and, um, yeah, no, it was uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. And Kevin uh, replied that he was going to do something on Kira, but it may not happen for a while. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would be good. I would enjoy that. So the uh, I forwarded on that um, the Fostem episode. Fostem is now for the thirtieth and thirty first of January, twenty sixteen. We could do a table, but we'd need eight people. I doubt we're going to get eight people, so so much for that. Uh, plus, also, the competition is very, very high, I think, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And if you were there, you would feel guilty of taking the table away from somebody else, you know? Yeah, exactly. I sent out what was been interpreted as an encrypt- a cryptic email about the admin email account. And there's an email account, which is admin at hackerpublicradio.org, that goes to me, it goes to um, uh, Enigma before me and various different people down through the ages. If anybody at any time wants to be part of that mailing list, which tends, or that 
wouldn't say it's a mailing list it's more a mailing address um it's basically first contact with the hosts and stuff uh people asking um about you know something on the website or they're looking for stuff it's nothing ever too hairy or crazy if you want to do that sort of stuff then feel absolutely free to do it um you would need to be a quote trusted member of the community meaning we know we need to know who you are you've done some shows that you've been around but basically yeah anyone anyone who wants to can do that at any time do you have you been getting a lot of spam on that or do you react to any of the messages or i haven't i've only had two messages that i've noticed so far my spam filters must be pretty good if there's been any spam of any consequence on it um just uh no just just a couple of things so far yeah, it's nothing it's nothing major sometimes it's uh you know people confidentially asking stuff that they don't want to go onto the massive mailing list or asking how they would approach a particular um topic you know nothing major okay so uh if you want to help out with that or you're just nosy and interested then <laughs> feel free however it does come with uh yeah you're stepping up to the place type of thing so uh joshua said that that's actual feature forwarding is being used by spammers for um filtering uh for spamming outbound um so which probably explains why google is uh is considering us to be spam or something so he's enabled outbound spam filtering which is a good thing and then we had you with the community news uh bulletin I think that was pretty much it for the mailing list, pretty much it for the comments. Yep, yep, quite quite quiet on the mailing list front this time. Yeah, it's the middle of um yeah, middle of summer in the northern hemisphere. Um we also pushed um all the code for the HPR website up to the GitLab repo. So there's now a public repo and there's a private repo. The private repo is called waiting to be audited before it can be pushed to the public repo. And the public repos where everything will be done in the future. So, absolutely, anybody who wants to be uh, wants to can add their account or OAuth, I think, to the GitLab.anonymousToast.com, who are the providers of our services. And if you go on there, then you can add stuff like to the requested topics page and that sort of thing. If you um, also get uh, and if you're involved with PHP at all, um, can you contact admin at hackerpublicradio.org if you're willing to help out auditing the code that's up there we would appreciate that Uh, oh yeah, one thing the admin at hackerpublicradio.org gets is the notifications that there's new shows been posted and stuff like that and basically you keep an eye in the queue and you you just do the regular old stuff and if I'm not around or Dave isn't around that you kind of take help out on the back on the back end so to speak let's see uh, was there anything else that came through that i noticed yeah we also get uh, notifications of postings to twitter oh there was a suggestion to uh, from 5150 50 are you there still yes sir do you want to uh, tell us about your suggested topic please or shall i read it out yeah, essentially, I'll, I'll try to bring it down to a couple sentences. 
Uh, this is something a few weeks ago we started experimenting with on uh, the Linux Slugcast is, you know, with a, without a formal Linux server administration background as a home, home user, quasi-professional user, uh, I'm not sure exactly w what uh, professional level, level tools that I could employ to secure my home network, I'm thinking of setting up, you know, this basic thing as a as a uh, PFSense. Uh, uh, He's gone again. Firewall. Uh, to, uh, people listening at home won't get the pauses because we've done a truncate silence, but he <laughs> can't hear him anymore. Too many words, Ken. I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. Fifty. I'm really looking forward to when you get yeah, an internet of, connection. Essentially, what I want to do is have people comment on who 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 are system admins for website, uh, web servers for server farms. What what free and open tools that they implement to secure their systems that could be implemented on a home network? How about I read it out here using my internet connection? Question one, beyond the firewall, IDS, ISP, uh, IPS, what do I need? I've started listening to Security Weekly, and they suggested an IDS behind your firewall as your, to record what your primary defenses missed. Where and how do I set this up? Beyond the firewall and IDS, what other tools should I be running? Where should they be on my network? And how many physical boxes are we talking about here? Should be low-powered devices, free as in beer. To that, I will say, uh, I have an episode promised to you, 50, that I will do on the device that I use for this thing. However, right now, the one important thing that you can do to secure your network is read your log files. Qu suggested topic number two. Now that security is in place, how to read logs, formulate a response to an intrusion. What I've learned from software is that you can't prevent intrusion. It's how to respond to when you are compromised. Again, according to Security Weekly, the security manager's job is to detect intrusions inside 48 hours rather than 48 months. How can you protect your proprietary data and customer database? Question three. What are the answers I need to the questions I don't know enough to ask? Very good. Uh, sorry, but that's it. I think those are all very, very good topics and definitely need to add it to the um to the list of requested topics and there was somebody uh, on the Ogcast planet mailing list looking for that sort of information as well so if you're out there and this is something you do for a living or have input on then feel free to record some shows and also if you have your own requested topics either get on the gitlab.anonymousthost.com page and create an account there or get an account there and edit the pages or send an email to admin at hackerpublicradio.org and we will add them for you. And Ken, I think I sent you an email. I did uh, uh, apply for a, uh, for an account on the GitLab and got it. But when I got in, all I could seem to see were bits and pieces of the comments. Okay. Dave, make it happen. If you want, uh, you want access to the um, to the projects behind, then I can set that up. I hear you. This the whole GitLab thing is quite new to us, so bear with us, folks. Bear with us. Okay, was there anything else anyone else had 
related to HPR. Nothing here. Well done with that. I will say, without further ado, tune in tomorrow for another exciting episode of... Hacker. Hacker. Public. Public. Radio. Radio. <laughs> Radio. Oh, I'm so looking forward to when you get a internet connection, 50. All right, good night, <laughs> folks. Tune in tomorrow. We're not going to sing? Join us now and share the now software. Now and share the software. You'll be free, hackers. You'll be free. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.